The Heart of Art is sponsored in part by the Texas A&M University Art Galleries, which includes the Stark and Forsyth Galleries located inside the MSC. The galleries provide a variety of opportunities to experience art exhibitions, events, and hands-on activities. More information at uart.tamu.edu. The Heart of Art is brought to you by the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts. The Heart of Art, scoping the Brussels Valley for the best artists and bringing them to your radio. Hello, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to the Camry Studios. My name is Hector Nino, and you're listening to The Heart of Art. Today, we have a very special show planned for you. We'll be revisiting my interview with Dr. Mary Kinniger, and this interview took place uh, April 12, uh, 2022, and uh, she is the executive director of the Brazos Valley Symphony Orchestra. She is an, a Texas native and um, a clarinet enthusiast. Uh, and my second guest will be Jennifer Korolenko, and this was an interview I had with her back in May, May 2nd of this year. She is the Curator of Education and Public Programs at the University Art Galleries. And we talk a little bit about um, the scenes in art in New Jersey and how they compare to the ones here in Texas. And why is art important for children? So if you want to find out, make sure to stay tuned. All right, now for our announcements, we have uh, the School of Performance, Visualization and Fine Arts has an exhibition up now titled A Transient Nature. And this exhibition features works by Austin natives such as Damien Lester, Sean Camp, and Shannon Faisler. And it consists of abstract pieces uh, with a theme of global warming uh, with this ever-changing, you know, environment. So, um, and this actually opened November 7th. It is closed right now due to the holidays, but it will reopen back on January 4th. Um, and you can find this exhibition at the Wright Gallery or the Langford A Building. Uh, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. And it is public admission, so uh, it is free. So go and take advantage of this art that is being made available to you here in the Brazos Valley. If you know of any artists or any art event coming up, please email theheartofart at tamu.edu. All right, now let's start our, my interview with Dr. Mary Kinniger. Hello, good evening, and how are you today? Just fine. Thank you, Hector. Awesome. I mean, becoming the executive director of the BVSO must have been a, a very big feat. Uh, but before we get there, I'd like to go a little bit into your background and, and your personal story. Um, so what is your hometown, and how did you end up in the Brazos Valley? <laughs> well, my hometown is Austin, Texas. Right. And uh, it's a long story about how we ended up back in College Station, Texas. And so... Uh, my husband and I, uh, we were two careers in family, so for a while we'd follow my career, and then the other one would say, hey, I'd like to follow mine for a while, and so we'd make changes and uh, follow the different careers, and then finally, uh, one day when we were um, back from work, my husband said, I'm going to go back to Texas, and so 
He said, would you like to come? <laughs> I said, I certainly would. Thank you very much. So my husband and I moved to College Station, and uh, he was here uh, with a job, and I was I was here with uh, just going to enjoy myself for a while. And he came home from his job, and he said, um, uh, they're looking over the symphony for someone with a music background and a strong administrative background. I went, yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. So I, I think a couple of days later, I applied, and uh I uh, got an interview, and uh, I was very lucky that they, they chose me to do it. I love how you and your husband are kind of like handing each other the baton <laughs> regarding your career. That's <laughs> exactly that's pretty nice. Um, so I know you have a um, very large education in music, uh, but I wanted to ask you what your instrument of choice was. It was clarinet. Clarinet. Okay, was that the first one you played? or That was the first one. I was in sixth grade. That's what I picked out, and that's what I played. And did you play it all throughout? Like uh, primary school, um, I played. I started in sixth grade, as, as mm-hmm. most kiddos in Texas do, and uh, I went through all the way to a master's in clarinet performance. All right, <laughs> so I played for a while. Yeah, you can so say you you loved it very much, right? Um, and I see you have a master's in applied music and a doctorate in education, right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's very evident that you loved music from the very beginning. I was wondering what kind of uh, management work you had done prior to being here in the Brazos Valley. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I've had so many uh, wonderful opportunities. Uh, I've been a, a director of bands. Uh, when uh, um, I first got out of school in Colorado, um, I've certainly had the opportunity to uh, went to visit Odessa College. That was another thing where my husband got a job in the area, and they had a job open for a um, person to do student activities. So I started there and I worked my way up at Odessa College. I finished out as their dean of uh, arts and, excuse me, the liberal arts as well as the fine arts. And uh, we started one of the first distance education programs in the state as well. So I was dean there for several years. And uh, then we had another opportunity to make a move and off we went. And the, the one I went to, my husband got, was for his job. So I had uh, once again planned to, you know, just eat jelly beans and stuff for a while and then go find a job. Um, there was an opportunity at uh, one of the pharmaceutical facilities, and I thought, why are they inviting me to come down here? I don't know anything about making drugs and things. So they said, well, we need someone uh, to do the training for us. And uh, they you know, said, well, since you have a doctorate, you know, in <laughs> educational administration and you've done training all your life, uh, we thought you'd be a good fit. And so I, I started there and uh, thoroughly enjoyed the job and had a lot of fun and learned a lot of things and uh, uh, just had a great time. And then uh, that was when my husband came home one day from his job. He said, well, you ready to go back to Texas? Yes, thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. It seems like you've been all over the U.S. almost. Um, so, you know, going into your education and the fact that you studied so much music, apart from education as well, um, I was wondering why you decided that music was what you were going to dedicate your life to. Hmm. Well, first of all, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, I was thinking about some of my teachers, and there was one particular, Vic Williams. I'll never forget him. He was my junior high teacher, seventh and eighth grade, and I cried when they split the schools to a new one. I had to go to the new one. I had to leave behind Mr. Williams. I'm still upset about that. But um, he just really inspired me, and uh, 
uh, I learned that you you know you got to do a lot of practicing. If you practice, you will get better. There's I often say there's nothing like just talent. Uh, it's mostly hard, hard work. So they go, well, I don't have the talent. Well, no, you need to work harder. That's what you need to do. And then, then you'll have the talent. Right. And um, uh, so that was pretty much uh, that start did it for me. And then um, I had a wonderful time when I, I, I got a small scholarship to go to UT Austin. And that's where I got my bachelor's in music and then my master's in music as well. And uh, it was just, you know, a wonderful time. I, I think I had the time of my life when I was there. Just uh, I was in Longhorn Band as well as all their symphonic bands and um, just had a great time. And that was when I really turned the corner from being an okay clarinetist to, at that point, one that I was very proud to be. And uh, uh, the teachers I met along the way that, you know, helped you grow and taught you so much and that you remember with incredible fondness. Um, th I think that was that was part of why I enjoyed doing clarinet so much. And um, I wish I had continued doing it, but I enjoyed being a dean. I enjoyed being able to do things that uh, uh, allowed me to expand even beyond music. Right. And that was uh, pretty much the story on that. And you're still doing that to this day, going even beyond music, right? <laughs> Absolutely true, but kind of, I am back in on music, too. Uh -huh, and right. so all that background uh, comes in very, very handy because, uh, you know, I know exactly what they're doing. I know exactly what they're thinking. I know exactly what they need. So I, I can, um, with that, that background, I think it's uh, so critical. But also having the administrative background to know how to, you know, do grants well, how to, you know, create, co you know, uh, cohesive groups. Um, all that's critical. Uh, if you lack even one spot in there, you won't be able to accomplish as much as you would wish to. So um, there's still a lot more I want to accomplish, but uh, I think my background's given me a good chance to, to be successful. Right. I like that ambition. Um, I was wondering if you had picked up any other instruments along your journey, because I know clarinet is a big one, um, are there any that you kind of learn by default? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Clarinet all the way. Clarinet all the way. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> I even I always wanted to play piano, and I had to learn piano. Uh, you know, you had to take class piano to get your degree. And mm -hmm. uh, between my, my senior and year when I started into college, I took some piano lessons and um, I'm pre pretty sure you had to go for four semesters, and I'm pretty sure that they just passed me to get rid of me because oh. I was the worst pianist that no. ever, ever graduated from UT no. uh, or possibly any you know college in the world. And uh, so I was so very thrilled uh, that I got out <laughs> of that and then was able to go to my love, which was uh, clarinet, and that was what I wanted to do. I didn't care about anything else. I just wanted to be, play clarinet. So right. that was um, some of the experiences. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, at least they passed you. <laughs> I'll tell you, there was, I'm sure, a party that night, all of the instructors that just were so happy that I was gone from class piano uh -huh. lessons. <laughs> I was wondering, you know, you have a successful... Um, work life as well as an artistic life how do you balance the two your artistic life like you said you know practicing is really important um, but you also have a great career so how do you balance the two um wow I don't balance it's all work mm -hmm. um I tend to um, be a workaholic 
I usually get up and at work, you know, by sometimes five or six in the morning. And then, you know, I don't stop that night till maybe one or two in the at night. But that's, you know, it's what the the job takes to be uh, bring the things to the table that everyone needs. And um, yep. That's pretty much what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Just that grinding the whole day. Absolutely. Yes. Um, are you currently teaching music? Oh goodness, no. Uh, no. When I laid down my clarinet, uh, when I became a dean, I oh. realized my clarinet was slipping. My clarinet uh, talents were slipping. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I just dis- discovered was I could not live with myself playing at a different level than I once was at. I wasn't playing at that top level. And then when I try and pick up the instrument again, you know, to play some little fun thing someplace, you know, somebody advised to, you know, play here or there. um, It just, it was so frustrating to me. And so Mm -hmm. basically uh, my clarinets uh, just retired. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoying that retirement. Mm -hmm. All right. And, um, I, I saw that you taught both public school and college level. I was wondering if there was any difference between teaching the two. Wow. A whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, high school level, you're still dealing with people that, uh, on, of course, I was a high school band director, you know, Friday night and the whole night, you know, nine yards. Um, they're still finding their way. They don't know exactly what they want to do. So. Uh, m- music was just, you know, another uh, class that they took. Right. When you got into college, it started to get very serious. You know, we were making uh, lifelong decisions and uh, much more serious. Um, had to, uh, you know, decide on something and really uh, get the job done to where you uh, were able to play or able to do what you need to do. And um, high school, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But college was a lot more, lot more exciting to me because you could really get down to the nuts and bolts of, you know, whatever you're majoring in. And I think that's the biggest difference. Right. Much more focused Absolutely. people in college. Focused. Yes. Um, and this is kind of like a vague question and you can interpret it however you'd like. Uh, but what do you think is the goal of music? Hmm. That's an interesting one, Hector. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we like going for the hard ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. The goal for music for me, mm-hmm. how, I, how I looked at it, was joy, accomplishment, doors opening, mm-hmm. um, relationships. Those were the things that I think of. Mm-hmm. I also had a question. How do you recruit talent for the Brussels Valley Symphony Orchestra? Oh, wow. That's that's one of the things that I enjoy the most is uh, we have such incredible talent. Uh, um, we have um, people who've, uh, you know, completed their doctorate that uh, you may have a, a degree in uh, performance. Uh, one just joined us uh, on French horn. And uh, he's actually has master's, but he's looking at finishing his DMA up at uh, Michigan. But uh, research, uh, various people um, visiting with us. Um, I do a lot of, uh, uh, like I said, research of various ones in various parts of Texas. And uh, we've been very lucky to find some incredible people that perform with us. And um, it just, it just 
warms my heart to know that uh, so many people want to come play with us uh, because of our reputation throughout the state. Awesome. And um, what is the mission statement of the Brussels Valley Symphony Orchestra? And what do you all expect that the people can from the community can get from such an experience? Well, the paraphrase is the f- listening to wonderful music and also incredible educational experiences. And mm-hmm. um, we hope that uh, people that come to our concerts, that it's a time you can sit back and personally to be able to, to go to a very incredibly important place in your mind where you're just getting the joy of that music, the tempo of that music, the the lines of the music, and it just makes you feel wonderful. And for our, you, you know, we have a very robust children's program. Uh, we do children's concerts. Kids come from all over Brazos Valley, and we get calls from outside. Can we come? Well, sure, come on. <laughs> we got we got seats. Come on over. So we'll have some buses arrive from outside the Brazos Valley, and we got plenty of room for everybody. Awesome. Uh, youth concerto competition starting this year. We're going to be giving a $1,000 scholarship to the winner. Uh, once they decide to go to college, that $1,000 will be sent there, and then they'll have that $1,000 toward their education. And uh, uh, just there's something for everyone. And so just, you know, the joy, the learning, all those are so important, so incredibly important. Right. And if someone from the community is looking to get involved with the BVSO, say through volunteering opportunities, uh, is there somewhere where they can go for that? Absolutely. Call our office at 696-6100. Or you can also, if you'd like to, uh, send me an email at executive at bvso.org. We're always looking for people that uh, are willing to help and uh, would like to help. And there's uh, many, many, many things to be done. Right. Yeah, you need a lot of help in there. A lot of <laughs> yes. help. Uh, well, I encourage everyone that's listening to go and check out uh, their website and make that phone call if you are looking to get involved. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Mary Kinniger. I am so uh, honored to be in your presence. <laughs> thank you for stopping by. <laughs> thank you, Hector. I'm honored to be in yours. All right, you guys, we will be going on a quick break, but do not go anywhere. We will be right back. Support for KAMU comes from the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts. Hello, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to the KMU Studios. My name is Hector Nino, and you're listening to The Heart of Art. Now we will be moving on to my interview with Jennifer Korolenko, Curator of Education for the University Art Galleries. Hi, Jen. How are you today? Hello, Hector. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited for a conversation today. I like to start off by going over the background of my guests first and see where their love for art began. Sure. So I wanted to ask you, where is home for you? Home for me is actually Trenton, New Jersey. So quite a, a, a long distance from Aggieland. Yes, very much so. And is that where your love for art began? It is. Um, I was kind of an odd duck in my family. Uh, I was a big reader and writer and doodler, I guess. Uh, no one else in my family really had a particular interest in art or music or 
anything cultural. And I know that sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but I come from a big, a really big Italian and Irish family on the East Coast. So everybody is about cooking and eating and talking really loud and projecting their voices, (laughs) Um, not necessarily about going to the opera or taking a stroll through a museum. But my parents were incredible. Um, They were kind of like, we don't get you, but we support you. Yes, my parents were the exact same (laughs) way. (laughs) Yeah. My mom has taken me to so many museums where I've pointed out like very enthusiastically some squares inside of squares, like a Joseph Albers kind of situation. And I'm geeking out about it, and she's just nodding her head and smiling politely, like, when's lunch? Mm -hmm. This is not... Okay. She's there for you. She's there for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely emotional support. Um, I saw that you uh, got your Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Art Teacher Education, right? From the College of New Jersey. I did. I was wondering, uh, why did you decide to pursue art education, and why not, like, art or education alone? Well, I think it was from a practical point of view. I was a person who graduated from high school, and I didn't take time off after high school, but I did transition to a community college situation and knew that my focus was going to be art generally, um, but the practical way to pursue that with my socioeconomic standing, um, I'm a first-generation college student. Neither of my parents even have uh, high school diplomas, technically. Um, so the struggle to just get to college was a bit more, I think, than, than the average person. Definitely. Um, And in that way, I kind of had to look at how am I going to support myself immediately upon graduation, Mm -hmm. not necessarily how am I going to work my way into a job doing free internships and and residencies and things like that that don't pay a cost of living. I'm like, at the end of the day, I needed to eat. So that Mm -hmm. is the direction I practically pursued. Okay. I understand. (laughs) I've been on the same boat. Yeah. I was wondering about the art scenes in New Jersey and Texas and, like, how they differ. Um, yeah, do, do you have anything? Huh, that's a really good question. I think uh, the Northeast, while it is a smaller geographical location, mm-hmm. um, you know, I come from an area where I'm basically in that, like, little armpit part of New Jersey that's, like, in the little curve uh-huh. on the inside part yeah. and not near the ocean. Um, so... Basically, we call ourselves the tri-state area, and that's basically just New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. So while Trenton not necessarily didn't have a huge art scene that I discovered until probably like my late teens, early 20s, um, I had access to the tri-state area. So I was able to visit New York and Philadelphia and hubs of cities like that. Um, The art scene here in Texas is kind of similar insofar as there are like metropolitan hubs of art and culture Mm -hmm. within the state of Texas. And then there are also pockets of weird that we like to sprinkle throughout. And I think the same is true for the tri-state area. Okay. Those pockets of weird. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay. So from New Jersey, you came straight to Texas or was there an in-between? There was. I actually, I actually applied for Teach for America, like when I was uh, almost thirty, I guess. Okay. Um, and that that was when I was thinking I was going to go back from museum education and do K twelve again. Um, and I did do that for a while, um, but it just wasn't. It wasn't where I was most flourishing. We'll put it that way. All right. Yeah. Um. So I decided that museum education was truly 
kind of my calling and something that I really excelled at and was able to manage and balance and still be creative. So I decided that that was the career path I was going to pursue permanently. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad you took that leap. Um, and I can see through your background that you are very invested in the relationship between education and art. Yes. I was wondering, uh, why do you think it's important for children to learn about art? Or what do you think it, it does for them? I think art generally helps people express themselves in ways in which they have difficulty communicating, whether that be verbally, whether that be in a written capacity, whether that be visually. And it's a symbiotic relationship between the artist and the viewer and society and the artist. And that constant flow of conversation and flexibility has always been so, so interesting to me. And you just see people open up when they're exposed to art. And the same is true. It's easy to get, you know, to get a five-year-old to say, wow. I mean, that's incredibly easy. Mm-hmm. But the problem with not being exposed to the arts at incredibly young ages when they're developmentally more impressionable, let's say, when you're forming you're forming who you are through your experiences, nature, nurture, all that stuff. Um, But having the tool of creative problem solving, creative thinking, just creative curiosity to explore more, to learn more, it kind of fosters that whole lifelong learning element that we're now pushing in society to realize, okay, so we've met pretty much mostly everyone's basic needs. Like you don't have to go and hunt an animal to eat at right. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do with the spare time that we would normally be like running away from from predators in right. the Surviving. wild? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. that is where the arts can help us to really strive and to really be successful and to get outside of our comfort zones because that is incredibly important I think to be a well-balanced and not necessarily logical person, but a person who can hold a debate when it comes to many topics throughout their lives. So I think it's just a really helpful and intuitive tool that we all have in us. Yeah, I feel like it helps reinforce like your own ideas and makes them stronger as well. So thank you for doing that for children. In our oh, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I love being a goofball. Like <laughs> story time is my favorite time of year and it's coming up soon. I was wondering, um, as curator of education and what does that exactly entail? Okay, so curating, we I think we use that word curate and curating, like the act of curating, mm-hmm. um, pretty heavily in today when we're talking about ourselves as influencers, as creators, as makers generally, as that has gone beyond the classroom and beyond the artist as um, someone who's working within their practice. It's something that everyone does. They curate their Instagram. They curate their liked TikTok videos. They curate who they text their TikToks to, you know, like who you share them with. Yeah. Um, so the act of curating is basically just selecting the things in which speak to you or hold information in which you would like to find more about and then kind of creating a narrative around it. So the curator will select the objects that they want for a specific art show or an exhibition rather and they will also create a sort of theme um, based on those objects. And that can be really, really obvious. Like maybe we do everything that has a flower on it 
for that this ex- exhibition. Mm-hmm. But where my job starts to get come into play in the process of curating in a museum um, environment is that I then take those themes and this academic style writing, which curators classically will write very academic style uh, papers and labels and things of that nature. Uh, my job is to then digest that information and make it accessible for the average person. Okay. So if I don't know if you've ever had a prof who used to tell you to, to write to you know, the reading level of like a fifth grader or something like that, which is generally what people are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about that, but it's also about making it content in which people want to create, um, want to consume rather, because we are so bombarded with that kind of thing. Um, it's my job to go through not only the objects, but the techniques, the artists, their lives, their misadventures, their successes, and also the context of social um social matters that were within the context of the time period and make that all digestible and more easy to understand for somebody who's just going to walk in off the street. And I assume that you know nothing. That's my assumption when I talk to anyone about any piece of art. I'm assuming that you know nothing and I will meet you where you are. Well, thank you so much, Jen. Thank you for all you do for the university as well. And just thanks for stopping by. I learned so much. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, anytime. All right, you guys, that is the end of our show. A big thank you to Dr. Mary Kindiger as well as Jennifer Korlenko for being a part of the show. And I hope you all are having a wonderful, wonderful Christmas break. Have a great week and make sure to tune in next week. I'm Hector Nino, and you've been listening to The Heart of Art, a production of 90.9 KAMU-FM. You can find all of our shows anytime at kamu.tamu.edu. The Heart of Art is brought to you by the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts. The Heart of Art is sponsored in part by the Texas A&M University Art Galleries, which includes the Stark and Forsyth Galleries located inside the MSC. The galleries provide a variety of opportunities to experience art exhibitions, events, and hands-on activities. More information at uart.tamu.edu.